0: This, this is the Our Auto Expert podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles.
1: Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast, this is America's car radio show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on mobile, or on smart speaker. This is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles. And uh, Jen had a little bit of uh, surgery yesterday, so truck girl Jen is here today in the shape of Jeff Zershmede, who is uh, co-hosting for today's show. Good Uh, morning, Nick. You make a very nice truck girl, Jen. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Uh, so what's on today's show Pack show for you we would never leave you hanging especially around uh, the holidays we're all having a good time and we want to make sure we continue that we're going to look at some sort of things that we'll see in 2020. What will the car uh, world look like? Mike Codell from Our Auto Experts going to join us. We'll talk about Jeff and uh, the driving the new Mazda CX-30, which uh, he has done. This is a brand new offering from Mazda. We'll find out what it is, how much it starts at, and what it meets as far as your family's needs are concerned. Mark Gillies from VW is here. We're going to talk about some of their concept cars. So they've started a line of concept car- cars, called the IDs, and the ID buggy was this sort of dune buggy vehicle that they had. Uh, Jeff and I will get to talk about the new Toyota Highlander. Toyota delivered one to my house yesterday for me to test drive because they were very – we went on the launch together, but Mm -hmm. it was very excited for them to actually ship me one. So they put it on a truck and drove it from Texas to my house, which is thousands of miles, and then – it only had 181 miles on it, and it had no plates on it. So luckily I did open my uh, Amazon boxes and my, my Christmas gifts, which I'd ordered online because I've been on the road this week, and there were some plates in there to put on the car. Oh, which good. I was like, oh, huh, I'll be driving it around my driveway all morning to tell you how, <laughs> how it actually operates. Uh, so we'll talk about the 2020 Highlander, brand-new Highlander, by the way, and uh, Brian Armstead joining us to talk about the Hyundai Sonata. This is a car that uh, has got me uh, about... 50,000 views on Facebook with because I showed everybody how you can drive it out of your garage um by holding the key fob so it will pull out of your garage or a parking space just by operating it from the key fob and it's kind of like ooh something shiny ooh something shiny and you know everybody's like I'd buy the car just for that well what What happens if it doesn't meet the rest of your needs? I don't don't care. I just want to be able to show my neighbors I can drive my car out of my garage, (laughs) which is kind of funny. So it's definitely eye candy for that. Uh, Anton Warman joining us to talk about uh, Congress, and they have uh, some new uh, tax plans for electric cars, plus the demand for EVs and how that's going to look for fleet sales in 2020 and how it looked in 2019, plus France passes some new tax on non-electric cars, All that is coming up in today's show, Uh, Jeff. What do you feel like twenty nineteen did and twenty twenty will do as far as cars are concerned?
2: You know, it it, it, the all of the big news was uh, electric. Uh, You know, whether it was the Ford Mach E uh, SUV crossover, you know, or the the uh, the very similar Audi. That uh, that came out the uh, e-tron. the e-tron uh, sportback, right. um, Mercedes with the EQC, and of course the uh, the, the the very controversial uh, Tesla, Tesla Cybertruck.
1: Holy hell! I could talk about that for the whole show. What a piece of CR something. Well, you I know, finish the word.
2: I, I, I still I'm, I'm still of the view that uh, it, it won't hit the market in anything like the configuration that it's been shown. No, I agree with you.
1: Uh, we could talk about this for hours and we should probably save that
2: for. Yeah, Anton we'll, we'll save it show. for another day. But, uh, but the short answer of what 2020 is going to be is more of automakers bringing out their fully baked uh, EVs. Uh, I would tell you it's interesting when you think
1: back of it. There were some other great things that came out in 2019 and a lot of people uh, because there was so much electric news and so much new uh, news about um, things like technology and cars, mm-hmm. the we can tend to overlook things like the the wide body, the Charger wide uh, body. There is a Charger Hellcat wide body way, parked right outside this station. <laughs> right? I've been driving around. <laughs> And we seem to forget about the GT500. So there was quite mm-hmm. a lot of muscle news as well this year. And there's going to be a lot next year. It's time mm-hmm. for a Dodge Durango refresh or redesign. Mm-hmm. We know that Dodge, the this FCA's Fiat Chrysler Automobiles power arm of the company, is looking at doing smaller SUVs. We've got those to look mm-hmm. forward to. Will we see them? We've heard stories about Maserati doing electric cars. We know mm-hmm. that's on the horizon. So there is a lot of sort of performance and luxury news as well interestingly enough a lot of car companies have been delaying their electric vehicles so the eqc that i think was supposed to come out the beginning of next year uh now was suddenly um put off for another year Mm -hmm. so it won't come until the fall next uh, next year 2020 there's a lot of stuff there plus still to come And I have some sneak peeks or some sneak reveals, which I cannot talk about, of what's going to be about at CES this year. I mean, there is some outstanding stuff from Lamborghini, as far as tech Mm -hmm. is concerned, and Mercedes, and some really incredible stuff from Flair. Flair, the infrared camera company, Mm -hmm. they have got new stuff that's coming at CES. So a lot of people, we know we're going to see the new Fisker Ocean. The Visca mm-hmm. SUV—that's going to be there for the first time. So there is so much bustling. But reflecting on 2019, one of the things that we were expecting to happen is a drop in car sales. Uh, predicted at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year, the yeah. outlook was to see maybe 500,000 less cars sold. It didn't happen. No, people, people are still buying. B- yes, yeah, still buying cars. Why do you think that uh, the car—the car, the car sales—maintained their
2: momentum from 2018? Couple of good reasons. Uh, first, the you know the economy continues to do pretty well for most people, and uh, uh, and second, the new cars are so compelling. You know, uh, we were talking about all the uh, performance cars and everything else, but the bread and butter cars of the market, like Nissan uh, just revised the Sentra, right. Huge. Uh, They're gonna sell hundreds of thousands of those. Um and they continue to sell hundreds of thousands of uh of of Rogue SUVs and and uh and then of course, you know, you move over into Honda and Toyota and they the the RAV four prime came out and uh there's all this other stuff that's uh that's there that um that people want. It's
1: it's almost impossible to screw up um when you're Toyota. I mean, they don't come out with—I could name maybe two cars that didn't do as well as they expected Mm -hmm. out of their whole lineup. But they have a massive lineup. Plus, I happened to be at the Toyota headquarters this week, which really was cool because their headquarters is unbelievable. It's so beautiful. But at the same time— you know, Christmas decorations this year mm-hmm. A bunch of airbags on the ceiling Inflated <laughs> it was, It's It's the coolest thing Plus they have a bunch of engine parts mm-hmm. That are all sprayed white on the ceiling And they shine down I think it, the when the light shines through them The word drive appears underneath them Because they've all been placed in there Very, very clever stuff from Toyota engineers So still to come on the show We're going to get to talk about that brand new CX-30 that uh, Jeff's been driving Michael Cordell is joining us <laughs> to talk about uh, some of the things that he's been up to plus the future from vw with their id vehicles that's all coming up on our auto expert and you can check it out ourautoexpert.com you're listening to our auto expert catch up on previous episodes of the show at our website ourautoexpert.com we have all of the past shows you can see our automotive videos And uh, you can also check out some of the stories that we've done on television stations around the country. One of the guys that uh, is uh, one of the best TV hosts I know is on the phone with us now, Michael Cordell. And Mike, you've had a pretty big week. Uh, You made somebody's week anyway, didn't you?
0: We had a big week to close out the year, always the week before Christmas. We uh, find a way to get into some mischief uh, between Detroit, Denver... And a stop in New York, we managed to give a brand new Jeep Rubicon away as part of the Next in Hero Tire program to an incredible vet, uh, Ken Cates, who, uh, when he returned from 27 years of service, joined his local Habitat for Humanity. And in the last year, Nick has built 26 homes for veterans in the Fort Hood area. So
1: you honored him as the Nexon hero with this new truck. Tell us a little bit about the program, Mike, uh, and what, it, what, it's de- what it's designed to do and what Nexon's idea of getting involved in this was.
0: Yeah, so this is a third giveaway we've done with Nexon Tire, and it was kind of a joint idea uh, between Nexon Tire and myself a few years ago. We kind of sat down and said, hey, let's draw some attention to our men and women in service. We connected with the Purple Heart Foundation, and the Purple Heart Foundation, obviously, for those wounded uh, in combat, uh, we've given two vehicles away to Purple Hearts. And after the success of the first two giveaways, uh, we decided collectively to open it up to veterans as a whole because uh, there's so much interest in participating in the program. And so we gave it away to a veteran for the first time uh, here a few days ago in New York City. And uh, still donating, so we'll raise $30,000 for the Purple Heart Foundation, and we'll give a vehicle away. Um, Ken has received his Rubicon. It was beautiful. You can just Google it online, Nexon Hero. Uh, you can see the cool uh, Jeep giveaway, but it's awesome, man. It's, you know, to, to give something back for our men and women, the last winner, Brian Porter, had been through 32 surgeries. Uh, he was He was essentially... As for better, you know, or worse, I and mean, he just—he blowing up overseas, and you know, he's this incredible army ranger that came back, and you know, was able to receive a Jeep Gladiator. So, just our way to give back, right? You know, that's what we do in the auto industry. We, we like to give back.
1: A nice little Christmas gift as well, obviously uh, for somebody and thanking them for their service. Is there going to be more next and hero vehicles in the future? The program continuing.
0: Already in the planning for the next go around, the first three vehicles: uh, a Dodge Challenger, a Jeep Gladiator, and a Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. Um, I see an FCA. I satellites. see an FCA
1: theme here. You're giving a lot of there's SCA. With,
0: yeah, <laughs> there's a theme. There's a theme. They have great vehicles. that have a great year, and you know, it's our American heroes coming back home, a little slice of Americana with uh, a vehicle that's you know based here in the U.S. Uh, with one of those three.
1: All right, so let's turn to what's happening in 2020. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a very interesting year for new things happening. And CES is just around the corner. Uh, you, of, of course, have a lot of people you work with at CES as part of our auto expert and as part of other things that you do. What are you hearing about CES next year?
0: Flying cars. cars. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Um, you know, last year, Bell Helicopter made a, an incredible impact at the CES show, having it a full-size uh, helicopter on the floor that was going to serve as kind of a taxi transport, the Uber, the Sky. But one of the vehicles I'm hearing about right now is the Fisker Ocean. Uh, Henrik Fisker, uh, most notably known for the Karma, uh, kind of went underground for a few years, uh, is obviously not associated with Karma Automotive, has his own company, Fisker Inc., he'll be showcasing This new Fisker Ocean vehicle at the show, from everything we understand, this vehicle is made with 100% renewable resources. Uh, Ford talked about their vegan Mach 3. Uh, This vehicle is apparently using recycled material for the entire build-out of the vehicle, with uh, a few small exceptions. Uh, Hearing a lot about that, and then, of course, some of the other automakers will remain tight-lit, but there will be some pretty significant pieces of news delivered at the CES show.
1: I've also uh, I've also got some, you know, little bits and pieces, but it sounds like Bridgestone are going to introduce an airless tire for the first time, which is kind of interesting because we've all one of the things that people uh, really get into with tires is the fact that they're sort of, uh, you know, they go flat and we've had run flats, which sort of work. We, we have the air inflation kits, but airless tire. Do you think that's really a possibility or is it just sort of pie in the sty imagination?
0: Oh, everything's a possibility, right? Like Tires that are aired, and right now we have, you know, obviously tubeless tires. We have tires that are aired, and then we have run-flat tires. Uh, There's a a trend in transition into new types of technology. I see no reason why we couldn't see a tire come to market that is airless. Uh, With that said, automakers have been trying incredibly hard over the past few years to, to bring airless tires to market, and we haven't seen it become a success yet. Uh, but I think we will here in the near future.
1: I think uh, a lot of car companies come up with these great ideas. I remember Michelin introducing a tire at a CES a few years ago, which was uh, absorbed water. And it had it was made out of a moss base. And uh, then the airless tire, which, of course, tires originally didn't have air in them way, way back when, when they first started, uh, you know, wheels on cars. All I could feel is uncomfortable. <laughs> A solid rubber tire yeah. seems really uncomfortable.
2: If, if you, if you, you know, like your run flats, you'll love the airless tire. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, think about it, right? Like, you have an entire suspension suspension system that is designed to absorb impact. So when you add in tires into the equation, there's a reason that when going off-road, outside of grip, off-roaders air down their tires, and that's because they want more of a squishy ride on the rocks, right? It it makes it more tolerable. Well, it's the same same rule that applies for pedestrian vehicles on the road. You want a softer ride. Um, I would never tell you to air your tires down outside of what the regulation is because that wouldn't be good. Um, But with that said... I always air down my tires slightly less than what the recommendation is because I want a softer ride.
1: Unless you have a motorcycle,
0: right? Air those suckers up, baby. Keep them completely aired up.
1: Uh, Jeff, do yeah, you do, Jeff? Do you have all the right amount of air in your tires, or you like a softer ride?
2: No, I I uh I go strictly by what is on the door jam of the car, uh, because you'll get the best fuel economy and the best traction out of your uh, out of your tires that way. If you're if you're needing to air down your tires to uh, get a softer ride, then uh, the, the answer <laughs> lies <your> <laughs> the answer lies elsewhere in your suspension, <laughs> probably.
1: Uh, Mike. I I was in a meeting this week um, with Capital One in Dallas talking to them about some of the future stuff in the car world, and when I explained to them that to have a flying car, you still had to have a pilot's license, they were absolutely devastated because they all realized (laughs) there was no way they could own a a flying car. That's the most interesting thing is right now, flying cars, you still require a pilot's license, right? So there's a yes
0: and no to that. So if you look at a company like uh, Icon Aircraft, uh, they have what's called the A-4. Uh, FAA requires you to have a license when you fly above a certain uh, altitude, a flight height. Um, so there's certain, there's certain um, rules and regulations being created. Now, the, the, the car is a completely different beast, right? So if you think about a car and a car taking off from an airport, that could potentially fall into that line and should fall into the line of an aircraft. There's no way to regulate this yet. I don't. I don't think this is going to be happening anytime in my near future. Although it's a concept that everyone really is pushing for as we move towards different kinds of technology and driving.
1: I think uh, the the flying car is a great sales tool, but I don't. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, Not gonna happen. if you yeah. think about
2: average American drivers, do you really want them driving something that flies?
1: Well, <laughs> that's so. Here's my deal about it. When you drive, we drive. We technically sort of drive two D now, right? So yeah. we drive on two different planes, left or you know left, right, or straight, straight or back, forward or back. But with a with a flying car, you suddenly add a third dimension in there. A I'm third like, dimension, <laughs> and,
2: and and if you're and if you're if you if you mess up in your car, you might hit. something. Something, But if you, uh, you know, as, as the as the airline guys like to say, takeoffs are optional. Handings are mandatory. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. And I, I agree with you. Yeah. And then,
1: then you always have to worry about what the person below and above you is doing. And a lot of people still can't manage the left, right, forward and back thing still. So <laughs> yes. there's a lot to go. Uh, Mike, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, we... You know, look forward to having you back on the show as well. Um, Mike, of course, you can see his videos. He was around this last week uh, traveling the country doing TV segments. So you can see them at OurAutoExpert.com as you can all of his other stuff there. Uh, Coming up still on the show, we get to talk about the CX-30 from Mazda plus a bunch more. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert podcast. Well, if you'd like to catch up with the uh, previous episodes of the show, you can do that at Our Auto Expert. Plus, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can start a conversation with us. Just send us a note. Just look at Our Auto Expert. You can join the thousands of other fans that we entertain all day. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk about this story at the top because we're, we glossed over it. But uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the move from sedans to SUVs. And, mm-hmm. and that's been a trend that's ongoing for about three or four, maybe f- more years than that.
2: More years, yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's really been coming on for the last 10 years. Uh, but now, you know, SUVs um, and, and light trucks, but primarily SUVs, um, are about two-thirds of the market. Uh, you know, people who, and people who own them are saying widely that, that they don't expect to ever own anything that isn't an SUV in the future.
1: One of the problems is if you don't play the SUV game you then sort of start to be lower than everybody else. So if you drive a sedan in traffic nowadays, you're looking up at everything around you. And I mm-hmm. actually prefer sedans as vehicles or wagons. You know, so do I'm I. I'm like an old-fashioned wagon guy. But at the same time, you, when you get into a truck, for instance, you're so much higher than everybody else, or so much higher than mm-hmm. most of the other SUVs out there, it's nice to be able to see over things. Uh, one of the problems is you know, it's like Dallas is a beautiful city but the problem with Dallas is it's completely flat so you can only see what's mm-hmm. in the you know at the skyline around you you can't really see the mountains or anything else that you can in a lot of other cities
2: you know it's also nice to not have uh, have all the headlights from all those higher vehicles shining straight in your back window
1: yeah and of course as you get into vehicles that are bigger and bigger at some point you lose any restrictions on how high the bumpers can be and how high the headlights can be and it mm-hmm. starts to become uh, they start to sort of seep out of the government regulations so yeah. you can have a headlight at your eye level if you're uh, if you have a big truck. So one yeah. of the big es- or bigger SUVs that you started to drive or you've been driving is the Mazda CX Thirty. You went on the That's launch of this, right? It's one of the
2: smaller SUVs.
1: Right, oh, I say one of the bigger vehicles oh. outside of sedans, or well, the taller vehicles. Yeah. So it's an SUV. It's a but it's a small it SUV.
2: It is a small. It's a it's a brand new small SUV. And and personally, I think Mazda hit it out of the park with this one. Um, yeah. It is bigger than their CX-3, which I, 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 they haven't said anything, but I, I tend to think that one's probably on the way out. But it is smaller than their midsize or, or large compact, let's call it CX-5. Uh, the CX-30 ends up being just the right size. It is, it is small enough that those of us who prefer a passenger car ride experience will like it, and it's big enough that those who want an SUV are going to want it. And it is uh, the perfect size for urban and suburban driving. Uh.
1: I was going to say, what makes it stand out from other vehicles in its competitive segment? And what are those other oh. vehicles?
2: The uh, other vehicles in the competitive segment would be like the Hyundai Kona, uh, Kia Nero, so, Cross- to some Trek extent Kia Subaru. Sport, Sportage, the Subaru Crosstrek, um, a lot of those. And um, the what stands out with the Mazda is two things, the driving experience and the premium touches that they give you. Uh, the price range on, on the CX-30 is is almost identical to the Hyundai Kona. Um, it tops out a little bit over 30000 If you put on all the special paint and all the, the all-wheel drive and, and the top trim level, you can spend about $31,000 on a CX-30. Um, they start at $21,900 uh, for the front-wheel drive version. Here in Portland, I think we'd, we will sell most more of the all-wheel drive, and the all-wheel drive adds $1,400 to the price uh, at any trim level, uh, which is also really nice. There's no bargain basement low trim level that, that they've got. Um, inside, you you would really compare it more to something like the Audi Q3. It's a super nice interior, plenty of space in the interior, which I was surprised about. Uh, I'm a pretty big guy, and my drive partner was also a pretty big guy, and we were able to share the center console uh, without our elbows even bumping. So that and was one of the key. things
1: that Mazda have been pushing for. Uh, they started with a CX-9 mm-hmm. originally was. And I asked Mazda, at the launch of the CX-9, I said, yeah, the lines are getting really blurry here between luxury and non-luxury. Like, what is a family car and what is mm-hmm. a luxury car? Because they're putting a lot of things in the vehicles that you only initially saw in luxury cars, but they're doing it for a family car price.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's kind of where Mazda's living right now. And they, they call it Mazda Premium. And, and it, it really it, it sounds like, like a, 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 an advertising spin term, but it's real. Uh, when you get into it, you'll notice a big difference between Mazda and other economy car brands, um, but not the price. Uh, let's touch on performance a little bit. Mazda nailed it with the suspension. This car, uh, this uh, small SUV drives like a passenger car. It rides really well. Uh, the all-wheel drive system is fantastic, um, and, uh, and Mazda has a few industry-exclusive uh, factors to that uh, like their g-vectoring control which uh, adjusts engine torque to keep weight on the front wheels while you're cornering and their predictive all-wheel drive system which the the i-active they call it and it's uh really one of the best in the business
1: uh so when does it come out and we'll it is
2: at dealers now
1: all right so we can go test drive it go it.
2: test drive it if you test drive one suv this winter Make it the <laughs> Mazda CX. I think Jeff sold her. I am. I'm. I'm looking at one for our family. VW are going to talk about
1: their ID Buggy and some of their ID cars coming up, and also we'll talk about the new Toyota Highlander, which I actually have one outside the studio this week. You're listening to our auto expert. Locally created, naturally celebrated from the northwest and southeast, this is America's Car Radio Show. that has a funnel, we'll feature it on air, online, on mobile, or on smart speaker. This is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles. Joined today and co-hosting the show is Jeff Zershme. By the way, Jeff, where can we uh, where can we read the
2: majority of your uh, writings? You can find me every week in the Portland Tribune uh, and po- on online at portlandtribune.com. Look down on the right-hand side. Click on Wheels, All right. and you'll find me. Uh, when I was at the LA Auto Show recently, uh, one of the pieces that I was
1: covering uh, in the Fox Sports Show was some of uh, the ID cars from VW, and I went over to the stand. I Uh, got the attention of one of the VW PR people Mm -hmm. and uh, just had to wait about two hours before I could actually get in front of the car because there were so many people that were there to film the vehicles and they were so excited about it. And the range of ID cars uh, is really outstanding. Uh, Joining us on the phone is Mark Gillies from VW Uh, we want to specifically talk about the ID buggy which was one of the original ID vehicles um, but also this sort of ID phenomena at VW is getting Getting an awful lot of attention, isn't it, Mark?
3: Uh, it is. I mean, we actually just um, showed the first production car of, from the range of concepts uh, back in Frankfurt, which is called the ID. Three, and I think we're now up to seven concepts, with the one um, that we showed in LA. So, I mean, the obvious, the, the sort of most emotional ones are obviously the, the ID buggy that we first showed at Geneva in March, and then at, then at New York in April, and, and the the ID Buzz, which will go into production at some point uh, around 2022. One of the
1: things uh, that I think got a lot of attention with the ID buggy is the fact that the the Dune buggy, uh, was such a beloved car around the world and it sort of had that 1970s California feel to it it had the sunshine the sand dunes the the sort of the freedom of life much the same as the bus had its own genre of lovers the ID buggy or the buggy itself has that sort of essence of VW uh, married into it so the ID buggy itself was really a, a spin off of the original uh, the, the original dune buggy right
3: Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, if you look at the shape, it's got the same kind of curve on the fenders. Um, Obviously, it's open top, two-seater. And actually, because the MEB platform, the electronic, sorry, the electric architecture of the the ID family, um, it's rear-wheel drive uh, with a rear-mounted motor. That kind of goes back to what the buggy was, because obviously, the the original beach buggy, the the myers Manx, used a Volkswagen's uh, engine mounted at the back, just like an original Beetle. So, so it's kind of it's kind of a homage in a way to even the mechanicals sort of mechanical aspects of it, or the motive aspects of it, are thrown back to the old days.
2: Well, um, and Mark knows I actually have an, uh, a vintage uh, dune buggy, and I love it so much. And uh, and I so I've been particularly excited about the uh, the ID buggy. Is the ID
1: buggy going to be a, a a real thing, Mark, or is it just part of the ID concept ideas?
3: Um, I mean, I think there's a. Uh, we we've said that you know that we will sell the the platform to people who want to use it. So I think this is one of those that would be more of a third party manufacturer. I'm not sure. Um, there's it'd be difficult to do a business case for it based on you know, a small run um, unless you charge an awful lot of money for them, which is kind of out of keeping with the buggy in the first place. Right. So, you know, we're definitely, definitely looking to um, see if there are people around the world who would want to use the, the MEB architecture. Because the, the, the really expensive thing about electric cars at the end of the day um, is developing the batteries and getting the power trained to talk to the rest of the electronics. So there's a lot of software in there. And there's the battery technology and and that's the big cost in terms of development. It's also the big cost in terms of actual hardware. So if you can, if you can extend the amount of those platforms that you can sell, then in theory you're going to bring the cost down. So it makes the whole thing a lot more affordable.
1: Although B- VW was very responsible, uh, obviously for one of the biggest icons in the world, the Bug, and arguably the biggest icon in the world for as far as cars are concerned, probably sits there alongside the Mini and the Wrangler as the sort of the the three most iconic vehicles of all time. One of the things that many people don't really know, unless they come from the era of the Bug, is that that vehicle was the spark for. Just lists and lists and lists of special builds, Mm -hmm. uh, many of which you Mm -hmm. bought to uh, the Concours uh, at Amelia Island this year, and you showed off, even down to that hilarious but oh-so-lovable wedding car, which was sort of made of (laughs) wrought iron in the shape of a bug, but still had the sort of platform. And and that, that theme seems to be carried forward, doesn't it? That's what you're doing with the new ones.
3: Yeah, very much so. I mean, that that idea, as you said, you know, the Carmen Gear, for instance, which looks very mm-hmm. different to a Beetle, um, is a, is the same platform as a Beetle, for instance, and and the Myers Manx was a shortened Beetle platform. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was one of the, the cool things about the, the MEB is it, it has that ability because it's kind of like a skateboard. If you look at the way the batteries are, are packaged, um, to sort of mimic the the old Beetle platform, so. You know hopefully we can see even more vehicles um, coming off the off the platform uh you know once we i think what we've got to do is we've got to sell the mainstream ones first so like obviously the i d three in europe is like a a golf size vehicle um and we'll have a compact uh, SUV coming out next year being shown anyway next year based based off NEB, which will be the first of the ID vehicles for the US, and you know, once once I think the company started selling them in real volume, I think that gives us an opportunity to do some more whimsical stuff based off the platform.
2: Well, Mark, you've you guys uh, Volkswagen have um, you've repurposed uh, a couple of your uh, factories in Europe, uh, including one of the biggest ones, to produce only MEB. Am I right about that?
3: Yeah, so Zwickau is one of the factories that we we repurposed, and that's where they did the launch of the um id three uh no, I was actually there with a, with a couple of journalists and um it was kind of a big deal because Angela Merkel turned up to celebrate the whole thing um and it's you know I think it's a big deal when the leader of the nation comes out to a car factory um and, and is there for the, the launch of a vehicle or the start of production of a vehicle so this was, was pretty cool actually and um They've not only done Zwickau, I think think it's Emden is the other one that's been converted. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're obviously, we're going to be um, building uh, the, the ID vehicles out of our factory in Chattanooga beginning in 2022. So we're spending another, I think it's another 800 million expanding the plant down there to build purely electric vehicles and batteries as well. Just, just eight hundred
2: million? Or it well that seems like nothing. And and eight hundred million <laughs> is what goes into the factory. How many additional jobs do you think, Mark, are going to be produced there in Chattanooga to make these electric vehicles?
3: I think we've set up to a thousand. So, you know, it's it's a it's a big deal in terms of the investment, in terms of employing people. And then that's you know, that's direct employment of the factory. Then if you look at the people who are being, you know, employed in suppliers as well um because we just you know the battery factory just opened in atlanta or in, somewhere in georgia anyway um to provide the battery cells for those battery packs that are going to be built out of chattanooga
1: what's the first uh vehicle off of the id uh, platform or the id ideas uh, that will will see be seen in dealerships in the united states
3: yeah that's going to be the production version of the id cross which was a compact SUV. i mean it it's the most obvious place to go. I mean, that market at the moment is like, I think it's four and a half million and 4.7 million vehicles. Um, you know, Toyota sells 400,000 RAV4s. So it's, you know, it's, it's it's the hot segment in the market. It's where buyers seem to want to go at the moment. And, um, you know, that's why we're doing the compact SUV as the first Uh, an NEB slash ID vehicle for for the US market.
1: I think when I look at this, uh, the the evolution of cars being... Uh, populated in the United States, one of the issues was we have a, a, a very famous uh, mill near near where I live called Bob's Red Mill that make an awful lot of the the cereals that you see in the cereal aisle. And Bob got his start by taking a, a gas truck full of gas to small towns which didn't have a gas station so people could own cars and he'd up like, you know, three days a week so they could refuel their cars. And one of the problems was, of course, getting the infrastructure for gas across America which happened very rapidly so people could actually yeah. have gasoline and now the the problem is the infrastructure of electricity and the infrastructure of hydrogen which will probably be the next thing following that but VW also got a got a leg up on the infrastructure of, of electricity didn't you because you you have this whole plan to electrify America yeah we have
4: to be a bit
3: careful how we put, uh place that really because electrify America is a standalone company and it's part of the settlement behind the, the diesel diesel gate thing so basically we were told as a company that we had to spend I think it's 2.7 billion dollars um, to educate um, and also to build charging infrastructure and, and so electrify America was set up and According to the, the terms of the, the, the consent decree done with by um the government, uh we basically have to we, we have Electro America as a standalone company and we um as Volkswagen have to stay very much at arm's length. So you know, we've done um so Electro America has done a deal with I think Porsche already and they've definitely done a deal with Audi. We haven't done a an actual commercial agreement with them Charging yet, but I think that you know it, it, it's, it's going to happen at some right. point in the future. G- right. <laughs> But
1: but even so, I mean, just sort of you know the way the history fell it out, it's 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 part of uh, you know it's part of the what VW have contributed towards, even though that you are Mm -hmm. not an owner of it, and that's that's really basing the infrastructure. So uh, electricity amongst all the different companies that are working on putting electricity across the country, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've been sort of an integral hand up for a lot of that to happen, Mm -hmm. and that means that electric cars aren't aren't really only just going to be in the PZEV stays.
3: Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, there's a, I've seen the plans uh, rolling out the um, charging stations, and it's, it's definitely a 50-state initiative. Obviously, you know, you go where the biggest markets are first, which is obviously West Coast. Um, but, you know, literally the whole of the West Coast. Um, but there are also some other places, you know, the East Coast, the Northeast, they've got pretty pretty big um, electric vehicle population. There's a lot of infrastructure going in there. And, you know, as, as you say, it, it's going to be 50 state and it's going to be a very extensive network. And and the good thing about, you know, companies like Electrify America and also um uh, people like ChargePoint as well, is they're actually building charging stations that uh, service the majority of electric vehicles, whereas obviously the Tesla superchargers... Yeah, just do Tesla. Um, ded- mm-hmm. yeah. ...dedicated to Tesla. Yeah, so. yeah.
2: Um, Mark, the, uh, as I understand it, the MEB also has uh, some pretty impressive range statistics, at least potentially because of the number and uh, size of batteries that can go into, the, uh, into that skateboard platform. Um, can you... Tell us uh, where where you guys are currently on on range statistics for these cars. Yeah,
3: difficult to, difficult to know. I mean, we we haven't got an EPA number for one of our cars yet. Um, I mean, we would hope to be in the three hundred mile ballpark, uh, there or thereabouts by the time the, you know our first one goes on sale. All right, mm-hmm. but. You know, I, I think we're looking at, like, 62 kilowatt and 82 kilowatt-hour battery packs at the moment. Um, you know, it's it's the age-old thing. It's like, you know, one of the things that was very interesting was listening to Thomas Albrecht, who's our head of mobility in Germany. And he was saying that, you know, uh, and he was saying, saying that basically when, once people get used to the cars, there might be a point where they'd actually prefer to buy the cheaper version with a smaller battery pack.
1: Mark, we're running we're running out of time, but... Thank you for joining us. Uh, You can find out more. We'll have it on the show. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert podcast. Catch up with the previous episodes of the show. You can find them on our website at ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all the past shows, see our automotive videos, some of the TV segments we've done over the last couple of weeks, and read in-car stories about your next ride. You'll find them all on our website, OurAutoExpert.com, and of course, the previous episodes of the show are highly exciting. You should put them on your podcast and listen to them on the way <laughs> to work every day, just like thousands and thousands of other people. In the uh, co-host seat this morning, Jeff Zershmead. Uh, Jeff is an automotive writer of many years and well-experienced in the uh, car industry, uh, Jeff you were on the launch of the uh, Toyota Highlander uh, as, Indeed as was I was I. 2020 so currently let's look at Toyota's portfolio they sell about 450,000 RAV4s every year mm-hmm. it's probably their biggest selling vehicle uh, they sell about 100, 120,000 of their Tundra trucks which is more than any other Japanese and it's the only Tundra truck made in, uh, in uh, the only truck of its size made in Texas Uh, As well, and uh, now comes a new Highlander. And the Highlander has been the best-selling vehicle in its class for many years. I think they're expected to do around 250,000 of them. The one thing the Highlander had in previous generations that made it so outstanding was you basically had to take a bus from the second seat to uh, to the to the front seat there was that much room in the second row of the seats uh it was yeah. just amazing but some of the new stuff that they've come up with in this vehicle is pretty amazing too it's probably the most aggressive uh, toyota highlander that i've ever seen and it's many years of service um it's it, even in some of the uh the clinics that they did when they showed the design to people in the first place it was called sexy I'm not sure i quite go that far with it but <laughs> it's definitely a much improvement on what people have yeah. accused toyota of in the past is vanilla you know Toyota as a car company are pretty outstanding because they hold their value above many Mm -hmm. of the other vehicles. I think they have uh, number two, three, and four. They are completely reliable, uh, the most reliable and well-made vehicles out there. Uh, Their technology is right in the middle of of the pack and their design is somewhat uh, conservative, but many Mm -hmm. people do love how they look.
2: Well, yeah, um, you know, in fact, the RAV4 is the best-selling SUV on the market. Right. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, Toyota, Toyota does what they do very well, and, and, they, uh, and their reputation for quality um, has been built over many, many years. And now with the Highlander, they're trying to sex it up a little bit. And, uh, and did they succeed? I don't know. It's, it's tough for me to view a midsize SUV as sexy. But it's, it is a consummate family car. And the way I boiled it down is this. If you have had a Highlander and you liked it, you're going to love the new one. Yeah. I mean, I'm, um, I'm looking
1: at it, it out the window as we talk
2: because I can yeah. see it in the parking lot out there. It, they it, gave it a lot more shape, right? They, they did. They, 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 they sort of went away from the slab sides and they gave it a lot of sort of aggressive cut lines and everything else. And so, um, you know, I think if, it's— if, It's
1: not as adventurous as the RAV4. No, no. It's the RAV4 is definitely
2: more playful. This is This is a suburban family wagon. This is— what you use to to get the kids to their soccer, basketball, ballet, you know, whatever, um, it's what it's what hauls your family around on vacation. Um, the uh, the drivetrains in it are are long proven. It's you have your choice of Toyota's three and a half liter V6, which has been powering everything for decades now, um, or a 2.5 liter gas with a hybrid. In it, and I, was, uh, I think it was
1: estimated uh, uh, improvement of seventeen percent fuel economy in the hybrid, getting around thirty-four miles a gallon, which yeah. is super interesting because I just drove a Lincoln Corsair from Chicago to Milwaukee to Indianapolis, and the best I could get out of it was around twenty-six miles a gallon, mm-hmm, uh, the best, right. and that's a size smaller than this. So something – and that was just the regular. It wasn't the GT, which would be the plug-in hybrid version. Mm-hmm. This, of course, the hybrid, 34 miles a gallon, is pretty outstanding.
2: It is. It is, especially for a, a, uh, an SUV as big as this. And, of course, it did get bigger. Uh, the new Highlander this year is uh, in, 2.36 inches longer than the uh, than the outgoing model, and they put all of that space in the second and third rows to mm. make it even more family-friendly.
1: I actually want to take – the highlander and uh, jazz it up a little bit you know spray it with a matte black paint and put big bumpers on it i think because it would look really awesome uh i think for me it's a perfect vehicle
2: it just needs a bit of if spicy if, if you're gonna do that why not just get a forerunner?
1: well i already have a lexus gx which i'm in the middle of doing this sort of thing too so yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll see how it goes but i think uh, you're
2: i think you're probably unique among highlander uh yeah. owners if you if you if you th- go go to the length of sort of making it look like an off road vehicle.
1: It's perfectly sized. That's the thing <laughs> about it. The Forerunner for me is too small. Really? Uh, For a daily vehicle. And it's more truck-like. It's based off the Tacoma. This is is based off that new
2: K platform. It is. And it handles amazingly. And, of course, now it has Safety Sense 2.0. It does. And that was a huge, huge benefit. Again, as a family vehicle, um, getting Toyota Safety Sense 2.0 comes with full-speed adaptive cruise control, lane tracing assist, which sort of helps keep you in in your lane, in the center of your lane um, as you go around curves. Uh, it's got pre-collision automatic braking with pedestrian detection, lane departure control, roadside road sign recognition, which is huge because it'll, uh, if you, especially if you get the top trim with the, the really nice sharp color head-up display, um, it'll put the prevailing uh, speed limit up there for you. So it reads the speed limit sign, puts it on the windshield for you, helps you uh, keep your, uh, your driving where you want it. Um, I
1: do like a lot of the features in this vehicle. Um, it's just I want to sexy it up a bit. But I think that's what aftermarket is for anyway. It's perfect yeah. size for the dogs as well in the back. And you get the choice True. of seven or eight seats depending on the configuration you choose.
2: Yes. Um, and if you fold all those seats down for your dogs, you get up to 84.3 cubic feet of cargo space, which is… Uh, pretty cavernous price pretty reasonable yeah very much so um, it starts at 34/ six so right in the heart of that midsize SUV territory um, but, and you but can,
1: when you and I have optioned it out where are we looking
2: oh 48 uh, eight with the gas engine and I really preferred the driving experience of the gas engine mm. uh, with an eight-speed automatic as opposed to the uh, to the the um, uh, hybrid with a continuously variable transmission yeah. if you really platinum up the hybrid and, and go for that top uh, top trim level uh, you're going to spend about $50,000
1: I like the idea of the fuel economy on hybrid I like the idea of uh, the, the sort of environmental economy of the hybrid and what it does as far as a carbon footprint but you and I both know we have a very heavy right foot and uh, we, we do enjoy some spirited driving experienced only in uh, gasoline cars usually although I I'm sure
2: hybrids will get and that. I eventually. think that's going to change. Yeah. I think I think it's already changing, and it's going to change. And hybrids and electrics will be the performance models going forward.
1: All right, coming up, Brian Armstead's going to join us. Uh, he is going to talk about the new Hyundai Sonata. There's plenty to talk about because this has some draw-dropping technology. Uh, of course, you can listen to this show and many more at ourautoexpert.com. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Catch up with previous episodes of the show at ourautoexport.com. You can also hear the past interviews that we've done. There's a podcast button you can download the podcasts and listen to. You can see videos, some of our stuff. Uh, Mike Cordell and I were just touring the country at a whole bunch of stations last week. Uh, Fox and Friends and all the Fox stations that we did uh, live segments at. There's nothing like standing outside, by the way, Jeff. In, uh, in weather at zero degrees. So in, in Milwaukee, <laughs> I was on Fox 6 in Milwaukee, and we were showing best deals of the year, and I'm standing outside, and it's 16 degrees temperature, but with a wind chill, it goes to zero degrees. Standing outside doing a, a car segment when little pieces of your body seem to be dropping off because they're so frozen. It's very difficult to do. What I you have to suffer
2: to I know you're anchor. You're suffering for your art here. <laughs> my suffering. Hey, next up, uh, we've got Brian Armstead, who's yeah. one of my favorite favorite colleagues in this entire business and i always enjoy uh hearing what he has to say brian um welcome to the show happy holidays uh
1: let's let's talk about this hyundai sonata
5: well first of all i'm flattered jeff Uh, (laughs) thank you so much for the uh for the accolades i really appreciate it and the thought is mutual towards both of you as well uh sonata okay guys i want you to think back two or three decades okay to the nascent years of the personal computer And the fact that IBM was king at that time, king of the crop. If it wasn't IBM, it didn't matter. And then all of a sudden, you know, IBM kind of lost their way, and you had companies like Wang and Dell and all these Acer and Acer's and all these PC companies started chipping away at the fabric of that core brand, IBM. We can kind of make the same analogy with Hyundai and the big three. The Mm -hmm. Ford, Chevy, Chrysler. They all sold sedans at one point. Taurus, Mm -hmm. Charger, you know, really nice sedans. 5.3 million sedans were sold in the U.S. market last year. Yet the big three had chosen to cast that segment away. What does that leave, guys? It leaves a feast for the European brands BMW, Audi, Mercedes, Benz, Volvo, Jaguar, Nissan, and Mm -hmm. the Asian brands Nissan, Kia, Hyundai, Toyota, Lexus. Uh, 2020, Hyundai Sonata really redefines the sedan segment. First of all, it comes in at 23400 four hundred base price, mm-hmm. and then you get up to the top level, the limited at 33300 I dare either one of you to try to find a vehicle that has more content at $33,000 than any of the top offerings from Hyundai or Kia. You will not find it. You will not find a vehicle that can match. I
1: think Brian, I Ticket. did, I did some measurement when I was there, and I looked at mm-hmm. uh, similar vehicles, like uh, in the luxury segment, like the Audi A4, and seeing what the base price. I think the Audi A4 base price is thirty thirty three thousand dollars, and mm-hmm. seeing what that came with, where whereas a a Hyundai Sonata fully equipped, and the Audi doesn't even come with. I don't think. Uh, it doesn't have all of the uh, tech stuff, especially sort of things like hands-free and all those type of things, the basic tech that you'd expect in right. a car. So it's it's definitely a really, a really good deal. I, but I think the Sonata has always had that cutting edge uh, back in 1985 when it first appeared, before it came to the United States. It was the first car introduced with headlight washers. So they always had something above everybody else. And this is absolutely along the vein of what Sonata has become to me, I think.
2: Well, even 15 years ago, you know, um, I remember I, I picked my daughter up after school. And, and she had a couple of her little girlfriends with her. And I was in the Sonata. It was my press car that week. And, and, uh, and they got in and they said, oh, good, you brought the nice car. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and, and especially now, you know, Hyundai's, uh, Hyundai's quality ratings are way up there. Uh, the the new Sonata is a great-looking car. It's got that fastback Absolutely. style that uh, is so popular right now. And um, so tell us a bit more about it, Brian.
5: Well, you kind of hit on a couple of the key features that I wanted to touch on, the, the dramatic style. It's just a good-looking vehicle, really luxury-looking vehicle. Uh, but I wanted to touch on a couple of the tech features that just kind of set it apart and make it almost a premium luxury sedan at a budget price. You can use your phone as a key for the car. You can download a Hyundai app, app, and you can use your phone as a key, or if you have a a kit, for example, you can program that key so that they can get in the trunk to put their soccer gear in the trunk. Or they can use the car, you can set parameters and protocols on that key, that digital key, Mm -hmm. so they can't exceed X number of miles per hour or X range. Really a very high-tech feature. The other high tech feature that I think is super impressive on this trim level is remote controlled parking. And this they do in the uh, 7 Series, the BMW 7 Series, mm-hmm. at the top of the line sedan. But if you're in a parking space, some yo yo on either side of you has parked the car, their car too closely to yours and you can't get in and out. And I find this often because, you know, as you guys know, I'm almost 20 feet tall. So the <laughs> yeah. door all the way open, is a real challenge for me sometimes. So with this new Sonata, you press the key fob. And the car will pull out of or into a parking space that it is pre-measured. Now, mm-hmm. if somebody's in the way, it uses um, several of the 13 ultrasonic sensors that are available on the Hyundai Sonata, some of the five cameras and the three radar sensors to combine to do all kinds of tricks, safety tricks, including adaptive cruise control, forward collision braking, mm-hmm. main following assist, rear collision braking. It's got all the bells and whistles. Another really cool feature, guys, turn on the left uh, turn signal on certain trim levels, Mm -hmm. and a camera appears in the miles per hour pod. You turn the right turn signal on, a camera appears in the tachometer pod. It gives you a near HD quality image of what's behind you. So that coupled with lane departure assist, and you can really, I mean, an oldie guy like me, it's kind of hard to turn my neck around as freely as I used to be able to do back in my 30s. So it really helps with checking those blind spots and, and and executing safe lane changes as you're going about your daily uh daily business.
2: Yeah, you know Cooling when car, I was going to say when Honda business. came out with a Lane Watch that kind of did that, but only on the right hand side. Um, you know I thought this is this is exactly. a great feature. Everybody should have this. And now it looks like Hyundai's you know taking it one better.
5: Absolutely, another really cool feature, guys. We all love Qi C- wireless charging. Doesn't necessarily speed up the charging process, but it certainly will heat up your phone. Now, Hyundai's come in with an air cooled chi wireless uh, charging system that gives you up to 10 watts of power and blows air over your phone to keep it from overheating. Really high tech feature, really tricky. And during the press conference for this event, I asked the Hyundai people why did this technology not start at Genesis, their luxury brand, and trickle down to Hyundai as opposed to starting at the Sonata or any other. Palisade or the other hunting vehicle and then kind of climbing up the ladder to their luxury brand uh, they didn't have a good answer for it but they were appreciative of the question and said hey just kind of stay tuned the genesis models will see a lot of these features as well so uh, it's just a real cool experience driving sonata at six nine three hundred pounds i fit very comfortably mm-hmm. i mean just take every option and you're you're looking at thirty three thousand dollars they has special 1.9% financing for 60 months. It's a sweet heart of a deal. It's an absolutely beautiful car. Got the coolest DRLs in the business. They have like a little micro abraded strip, chrome strip,
2: uh-huh. that
5: gradually becomes a DRL on the front of the car. You have to see it to understand it. It's just another luxury feature on an economy car, what it essentially is an economy-class car, and just heads up to... um uh, hats off rather, I'm looking at the heads up display, head up display. Uh, <laughs> Hats yeah. off to hats off to Hyundai for seriously contenting their vehicles and creating a buzz within the sedan class that is still you know, still relative, still viable. So um relevant rather, it's still viable. So um just a really, really nice job from the Hyundai Corporation with this twenty twenty Hyundai sonata. Again base price twenty three four, full tilt about thirty three. And when I say full tilt guys, it's all in there. It's like Prego spaghetti sauce. It's in there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just everything is everything is in the and uh, except for the proverbial kitchen sink, is tossed into their uh, to their uh, offerings. Just depending on trim level, of course. Brian, uh, nice job I
1: Totally impressed with the car. I would agree with you on every single point you've made. Uh, where can we read more of your stuff?
5: Well, if you, I'm, I'm all over the place, so there's no one specific place. I uh, write features for the DetroitBureau.com, for DriveLatino.com. And I also have an uh, Instagram page. You can follow me at RoadGearSun on Instagram.
1: Excellent. Brian Armistead, always enjoy having you on the show. It's, uh, it's a great Thank thrill you. and I think a great car. Look forward to uh, talking to you about some of the other cars that you've been driving in the future. Coming up, we're going to talk to Anton Wallman. You're listening to the R Auto Expert podcast. locally created, nationally celebrated. This is from the Northwest, the Southeast America's Car Radio Show. that has a throttle, wheel will feature it on air, online, on mobile and on smart speakers. This is our auto expert. I'm Nick Miles, your host, along with Jeff Zerschmid this week, talking about some of the trends from 2019 and moving trends into 2020. Joined on the phone this morning by Anton Wallman. He is an independent analyst and investor. He joins us every single week to talk about the state of the industry and to look at autonomous and electric vehicles. So some of the big news this week, Anton, is the U.S. Congress did not extend or expand the U.S. factual, uh, U.S. federal tax credits or elect- for electric cars. So tell me what that actually means to every consumer.
4: Well, there was legislative language on the table that had been pushed by a number of parties, including, of course, their congressional support uh, led uh, from a lobbying standpoint by Some of the automakers from General Motors to Tesla and Nissan, and I think perhaps a couple of others as well. The chief uh, legislative support came from Senator Stabenow of Michigan and Lamar Alexander of Tennessee. And all of this thing was thrown into the mix in the big omnibus budget bill that was on the order of, 2,500 pages long, and positively no human being could even read, even in theory, from the time that it was negotiated until they had a chance to vote on it the other day. And uh, in this negotiation process over the weekend, one week ago, uh, the long and short story of this was that um, this legislative language that was on the table to extend the federal income tax cuts simply didn't make it. So... The laws that were already on the table and had already been passed about a decade ago will remain in force for now and let itself be played out uh, per the schedule that was set about a decade ago.
1: So will anything change from a, for a car buyer's perspective?
4: Well, the current rule is set in such a manner so as to determine this on a automobile group per automobile group. Uh, manner, right? So if you are General Motors, uh, once you hit 200,000 units sold in the United States, there's a phase-out period that starts, and this phase-out period uh, will last for up to six quarters. So for each automaker, as they hit that magic 200,000 number, they're all subject to a similar phase-out period. So the first two automakers That have been impacted by this are Tesla, which is now seeing the end of that six-quarter roll-off period hit here in just the next week or so. And then General Motors is one quarter behind them, so uh, March 31st. And then the other automakers will come at some point in the following years.
1: Uh, let You know, let's think about things like uh, um, Ford and all these companies that are planning these electric vehicles. Will that change some of their plans for the future now? Will they, Were they ready for this? Are they adapting plans or they just continue the line that they've already planned out?
4: Well, certainly one believes that uh, companies such as General Motors had some strong hopes that this... Uh, tax credit would get extended so that all of their electric vehicles that they are going to be rolling out here starting in the next year or two were going to get uh, significant taxpayer support. Uh, and That won't happen. So clearly, from if you just take that in isolation, it's obviously a huge negative to those who were uh, trying to sell those particular cars. Now, of course, this money is not free. Otherwise, Congress would pass an uh, unlimited tax credit for everybody to buy whatever car they want and somehow this would all cost nothing and everybody would buy themselves a fleet of 8000 Rolls-Royces so seeing as these things are not free this money must have come from somewhere and uh, this simply stops the subsidization at least in part of those who buy your regular gasoline and diesel cars to those who buy plug-in electric and hydrogen fuel cell vehicles so Clearly this will change the plan somewhat for those automakers who thought that they were going to rely more heavily on the sale of electric vehicles than perhaps the bets made by some of the other automakers.
1: I you know, looking at the fact that I uh, put deposits down on uh, put deposit down on the new marquee, but presumably vehicles in the short term won't
4: change. That's right. So in the case of Ford, what this basically means is that their original plan remains in force, which is to say that they've shipped almost about 120,000 plug-in vehicles subject to this tax credit so far. So they're not close, uh, measured by current sales rates in the United States, to the point at which the phase-out period begins. So those of us who have placed the deposit on a Mach-E uh, will most likely get to take advantage of the full credit when deliveries commence here at the very end of the calendar year 2020. So probably for at least several tens of thousands of people, they'll get the credit. All
1: right. Anton Wallman, he's an independent analyst and investor. When we come back, we're going to talk about China and China and the demand for EVs. We'll also talk about some of the new uh, taxes passed in Europe. That's coming up as we continue our auto expert. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. All right, catch up with previous episodes of the shows at our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear those uh, episodes and enjoy them on your way to work or Christmas shopping. You know, if you have to go uh, holiday shopping, I would say New Year or Christmas shopping. If you have to go with your uh, significant other you could just put uh, the headphones on and listen to cool car stuff with uh, with all of the our auto expert offerings. Anton Walman's on the phone. He's an independent investor and analyst. We're talking about uh, electric cars and how things look for 2020 and how they looked in 2019. So China is a big debacle here. 90% of Chinese demand for EVs in 2019 came from fleet sales, much to uh, companies owned by the automakers themselves. So is, is that really pointing a picture to uh, things in China were not as good. Good as the numbers looked?
4: Yeah, so it's really a matter of here the quality of these sales. You would think that if there are significant government subsidies and mandates to go electric, and it turns out that the people who at the end of the day buy these vehicles are almost exclusively consisting of subsidiaries of the major automakers who are essentially buying the cars from themselves and then putting them into various classes of rental and car sharing fleets, that really points you to the conclusion that the quality of these sales is exceptionally low and that it's really not sustainable when regular people, the regular so Joe Sixpack in China doesn't want to step up and uh, buy any of these vehicles. So this is a huge problem and you have to put this further in context with the fact that China cut its electric car subsidy by 50% last July 1st and that sales of electric cars even including these fleet sales are down by between 35 and 40% in the five months that followed and now that the chinese government has said that sometime in 2020 honestly i forget which month it is but at some point in 2020 they are going to uh, completely eliminate the uh, remaining electric car subsidy and just replace it with a mandate which says that on a graduated scale by 2025 of all vehicles sold in China must be electric or otherwise uh, zero uh, emissions. So uh, this is going to be a very difficult thing to uh, swallow in terms of a big pill for for China.
1: Do you think that uh, it's going to collapse on itself?
4: No, I mean, there are a couple of things, the potential outcome. Either they have to reinstate the subsidies and increase them vastly. Number two is that the uh, automakers essentially... Uh, more or less all go bankrupt, because obviously if you have to subsidize these cars, then uh, that's going to come out of their wallets, and that's not sustainable, even the fact that they have about 400 automakers in China, and most of them are not making money to begin with. Or thirdly, what will happen is what has happened so frequently, not just in China, but also elsewhere around the world at various times over the last 20 or so years, which is to say that these ambitious goals will have to be ratcheted back from a legislative perspective. So when they say now that 25% of uh, all cars sold in China in 2025 must be all electric, either they'll lower the percentage... Or they'll say, ah, forget about this 2025, let's make it uh, 2028 or something like that. So that is, at the end of the day, certainly part of the formula that will have to be employed in order to not cause the entire market to simply collapse.
1: Uh, Now, of course, sales uh, are already crashing in China for electric vehicles. Well, what does that mean for the rest of us?
4: Well, what it means is actually very bad for the rest of the vehicles because, With these new uh, mandates that are not accompanied by subsidies, that means that uh, automakers will have to discount these electric cars in order to meet the quotas. And those discounts have to be paid for by increasing the price on the non-electric cars. But if you increase the price of the non-electric cars, you're going to sell fewer of them, all other things equal, which will further shrink the total market and the total economic opportunity for any profit for any of these automakers that sell both electric and non-electric cars. So it really means that they will have a severe economic recession in China if uh, the auto industry starts to shrink, which it has done for the first time in the recent months since essentially the beginnings of the Chinese automotive industry uh, about a quarter... quarter of a century ago in the early to mid-90s when they really got going with their own automotive industry over
1: there. But, you know, the Chinese government aren't going to let any harm come to the company's industry, so they're going to shore it up somehow, aren't they?
4: Well, that's why I think ultimately uh, the safety valve in this entire equation is going to be that these mandates will simply have to be loosened up. I mean, at some point, you can't keep on uh, peeing against the wind, right? I mean, at some point, you have to accept reality and say, unless we are willing to pour enormous resources from the rest of society into this industry, we simply have to... uh, uh, Bend to the will of the consumer and not try to force feed with the consumer in a way that costs all the other stakeholders from the automakers themselves to the government more money than they, can, than they could possibly afford.
1: Uh, let's turn our attention to France, because obviously they're in the news for a number of reasons, uh, one of them being the fact that uh, peugeot Citroen, a PSA, has now uh, finally penned their merger with Chrysler-Fiat automobiles, so that's big news, but France goes ahead of this and imposes a new tax, which could actually throw a wrench into exactly what PSA, peugeot Citroen uh, are getting ready to do, and uh, right on the beginning of this deal, it seems like almost counterintuitive we have a companies that are we have companies that are emerging big companies across the world that uh, are going to try and put a lot of their energy into electric cars yet immediately that announcement is made France decides to throw a, a wrench in the works and cause some problems for electric car owners or for non electric car owners in in uh, in uh, in France
4: that's right uh, Nick uh, Uh, Sweden not only has a king that is originally French, uh, uh, Mr. Bernadotte, who was a general in the Napoleon army in 1809, but Sweden also was the first to adopt the terminology... For its electric car subsidies that France has now adopted this week, and that is they call it the bonus malus system. So, bonus meaning that you're going to get something if you buy an electric car, some form of a, an actual direct subsidy from the government, and malus meaning that you're going to be taxed in a penalizing manner if you don't buy an electric car so translated to french in terms of what passed in their legislature just here this week uh, as i understand it is that if you look at uh, this graduated scale for the mollus side of the equation which is the penalty you'll have to pay if you don't buy an electric car it will go up to twenty thousand euros per vehicle so depending on the amount of co2 that is emitted from your vehicle as you hit, I think, the maximum at around 175 grams per uh, kilometer. And at that point, uh, 20,000 euros is going to be put on top of that uh, Peugeot, that Audi, that whatever it is that you're uh, planning on buying. That's an enormous punitive tax uh, on the French consumer And uh, you know how keen the French farmers are in terms of starting to block uh, freeways and uh, starting to uh, roll into cities with their tractors. Uh, I can just see when this actually gets implemented here in the coming months, what kind of protest we're going to see from the French citizens. So viva la revolution. I think we will see some really nasty things come down here. And france in the coming months as a result of this because frankly i don't think the average french citizen has heard of or understands that this has been passed and that this will be implemented yet so this will be a very cold shower and i know french love taking cold showers <laughs> actually that's a trick question they don't take showers at all over there we can smell them from a mile away but it's a different story but when this happens this will be a nasty situation nick
1: um You know, it seems to me when I look at the world uh, and we look at the three regions of the world that are probably major car consumers and manufacturers, Asia, Europe and the United States, uh, I mean, there are other important markets like South America and also uh, the Middle East. But when we look at those three major markets. Everybody is heading in a different direction. It is completely different. We are separating as a as a planet, and Europe is going their way, America is going our way, and uh, Japan is going their own way. It seems that we're almost... It, may, it doesn't make any sense for car companies to share these territories.
4: Well, uh, another word for that is called diversity, Nick. So we will indeed have a diverse policy implementation, so we will see in practice which region manages to navigate these waters the best so europe is going one way Uh, china is going its peculiar way other places in asia yet different ways and of course in the u.s we do not we do not have just one regulatory regime we have two of them because we have one federal regime which is going in one direction and then we have the states that have joined together since many years already, with California and implementing other very stringent and very different types of emissions regulations that are going yet another way. So yes, this is going to be um, this is going to be a, uh, a smorgasbord of diversity in terms of regulatory approaches. So automakers better strap in and see if they can survive the. Uh, uh, the turmoil that will come from this and their ability to uh, to sell vehicles profitably in any of these regions.
1: Now, we've talked about this in previous weeks, uh, but the Fiat Chrysler and PSA, the Peugeot Citroen car companies, uh, have finally formalized their agreement to merge. It's set to take place over the next 15 months or so. It could be sooner, could be a little longer, depending on some legislation and legal hurdles. Uh, as a consumer in North America, will we see any change?
4: Well, I think the short answer is that we will see at the most very, very little for the foreseeable future. There's simply uh, the the main rationale behind this merger really reside inside the European theater. Uh, It's also driven very heavily by these emissions requirements. You may remember that in the spring, uh, FCA announced that they had... uh, Uh, entered into an agreement with Tesla to pool for all of these credits. The amount was not disclosed, uh, but it was speculated that it was a very significant amount and that the hopes would be that by joining forces with PSA that uh, they are not going to have to rent to any further purchases of electric vehicle credits after 2021 or 2022 so that they will save themselves uh, as we look further down the road as these companies, of course, all fear that whatever Europe has decided on here over the last year or two uh, is not going to get even worse in terms of making these regulations even more stringent. So in the U.S. here, I think we will essentially see just about nothing come from this merger, certainly not for the next three to four years.
1: And then after that, probably just more of a different kind of vehicle?
4: Well, what well, this enables, if you think about it, is that, you know, Peugeot Citroën, they have uh, a regular plain vanilla car platform or a set of car platforms, so they're sedans and hatchbacks and station wagons. Of course, FCA has essentially abandoned that market uh, for the North American market. But if you could imagine a way to revitalize, say, the Chrysler brand with a set of new vehicles that maybe even branded Chrysler, but will that will essentially enable them to sell a broader range of vehicles that they simply couldn't afford or couldn't afford to do so profitably, and that they had decided to abandon here over the last uh, two to three to four years ago. Right. Uh, this would fit in very well with uh, with such a potential plan. So right. let's see what happens there. I think we'll find out more about that in the next year or two. All
1: right. Um, and what the question which we cannot answer, but why didn't they actually manage to do it with Fiat, which seemed to have the same uh, the same opportunity to do that somewhat with Fiat? Anton Wall is an independent analyst and investor. You can read his stuff at uh, Seeking Alpha or The Street, and he joins us every week. You can listen to previous podcasts of this show at OurAutoExpert.com dot Thanking Jeff Zereschmid for sitting in the. Uh, co-anchors, Chad. Did you learn anything this week, Jeff? Absolutely. You always learn stuff, right? Yeah. And thanks for having me in. It was a great time, and you can, of course, read all Jeff's stuff at the uh, portlandtribune.com he is a, a longtime resident of portland but writes for many national and international publications around the united states you can read his stuff everywhere uh, i will be back next week but you can certainly satisfy everything you need to satisfy on our social media platforms or at autoexpert.com.
0: You've been listening to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Find all the show episodes at ourautoexpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ourautoexpert. And message us for a quick and witty response.